Welcome. Thank you for listening to this podcast based on our Q&A with Epic One, one of the biggest special purpose acquisition companies, or SPAC, listed on Amsterdam Euronext. My name is Daphne van der Houwe and I am a senior associate in our financial regulatory team. In this four-part Q&A series, I will be speaking with Ben Davy, Chief Investment Officer of Epic One, and Short Bown, a counsel in our equity capital markets team, who worked closely with Epic One on their SPAC IPO. The ultimate goal of any SPAC is finding a business combination and helping the business to list. We'll dive into this during our third episode. So Ben, if you're hey, you, you're now in the process, I, I assume to to find a business combination. When you are considering this business combination, what what would you be looking for in a fintech company? Yeah, so um, I think the way we we think about the the type of partner that we're hoping to find, we start with uh, the growth characteristics first of all. Um, you know, we're looking for companies with um, high growth, top line growth, um, so real revenue. Uh, with a clear um, customer base that has some depth and breadth, and, and you can really sort of understand uh, where the growth profile of the company is is, is going to come from. Um, ideally, uh, profitable, or if not, a clear path to profitability over the next two to three years. And in particular, uh, an understanding that the reason that the company may not be profitable right now is because it's doing the right thing, which is investing in its growth, uh, attracting new customers, investing in its technology, and doing all the things that you know, these, these great companies should be doing right now to sort of maximize on their opportunities. Um, but the other way of thinking about it is, and, and perhaps to compare to one or two other SPACs, particularly in the US, we're less about a, a moonshot opportunity. Um, you know, we're not the sort of the super concepts. What we're looking for are, are really strong propositions, great management teams who have found a market fit for what they're doing and are now really going after the growth aspects of their business and uh, are looking for either new capital to just continue that trajectory or possibly a bit of support as they think about going into their second country or if they're in two already into the third or possibly if they're in three going pan-European, but effectively looking for that support to really drive the growth plan. Uh, Those are the types of companies that we're looking for. And the good news is that within within Europe, there are many uh, companies that are now at a scale where the the, the, the proposition is proven, mm-hmm. uh, where the market fit is established, where perhaps they've become or approaching uh, sort of domestic champion type status in one jurisdiction, and they're now thinking about where to go next. Lots of really interesting uh, companies uh, across many sectors, but obviously including fintech. Well, that's very interesting to hear. Um, and... and uh, assume that you have found someone ultimately what can what can a fintech seller actually expect from from seeking a business combination with you i mean you've already talked about all the benefits but mm-hmm. what are the particular points that from a seller's perspective they should be mindful of when they're seeking a combination with a spuck yeah so it's, it's a good it's a good question um so the so the assumption is uh, that there's a, sort of been a coming together and and then the question is what should uh what should the selling shareholders and perhaps the management team expect yeah i mean it obviously becomes very specific to the company as to what aspects of support or capital they want to draw upon uh but but needless to say i mean the, the starting point is a clear uh and relatively certain path to the listing that we've mm-hmm. been talking about uh, the second is access to the type of capital that they want in terms of the volume. Uh, and of course, uh, also to be clear whether or not it's for growing the company or possibly providing liquidity to 
um, the existing founders and shareholders. And so being very clear and, and, and then having those, um, those objectives met is very important. Uh, the next thing I suspect uh, that the teams will want to look for is the fit, of course, with the uh, with the SPAC management team, uh, and hopefully um, a, an opportunity to draw upon that support to drive their own business plans. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be thinking about uh, where they would like some support in the preparation for the listing and the support that they want after the business plan um, has been delivered, as it were, for the next foreseeable sort of 12 months or so, but beyond that in terms of the opportunity to drive value. And then ultimately, it comes down to the sorts of commercial terms that that are then um, uh, negotiated, frankly, between the SPAC and the target partner, um, which you know really starts to get down to the details, but you know, it includes just to pick one minimum cash conditions. Um, you know, often you go into these uh, DSPAC transactions with the company knowing that it needs a certain amount of capital um, mm-hmm. to grow the business plan and to, uh, frankly, achieve their immediate objectives. And those are the types of things that are often drawn up uh, as part of the ongoing discussions, just ahead of obviously formalizing and publicly announcing the partnership. I see. Yeah. So. We've already touched briefly on, you know, the attraction actually between SPACs and fintech businesses. And you've already told us that there are a number of examples where SPACs have been interested in particularly the fintech market or the financial services market. What do you think, why do you think that would be the case aside from, of course, FX, FX1's objectives? Yeah. Look, I think the starting point is, um, I think global investors have clearly, um, uh, aligned around the opportunity for growth in fintech for, for a while now, particularly in the US, and that's as, as as tends to be the case. You know, perhaps two, three years ago in the US, and 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 the rest of the world, I think, is is very much catching up uh, mm-hmm. in terms of appetite to invest, and indeed in, in valuations. You know, I think there's there's very little of an arbitrage now, as perhaps you could argue there used to be between the types of values that you see in Europe and the, the values that you see in uh, in the US, certainly in the field of, of fintech. Anyway, um, I think the um, the other drivers are sort of more more fundamental. You know, you've got an opportunity within Europe uh, to significantly grow, um, and you know, I think the uh, opportunity to do that using technology and data at a much faster rate than has been the case historically mm-hmm. is is really attractive and still is being you know, explored. Is in the process of being explored. Um, I think the third aspect uh, around it is the opportunity that you can have. Uh, to work in partnership with financial services companies. You know, it used to be, Mm. I don't go back maybe five, maybe a bit longer, 10 years, uh, the fintech um, thesis was very much, you know, we're going to disrupt the industry, we're going to do it on our own, and we're going to reach serious scale. And obviously, a number of them have have been very successful in in doing that. A number at the same time have started there and then actually uh, worked out on the way through that perhaps they want to pivot their strategies and, and more go to a B2B model, more work in strategic partnership with the industry. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that over the last, uh, sort of certainly the last three years or so, I think march on at some speed. Um, so there are lots of opportunities around fintech that are still, you know, perhaps maybe half explored. There's so much more ahead, uh, particularly when you think about the opportunities to work with big data and real-time analytics. And I think for these reasons, um, it's both maturing very well and there's a lot more growth and opportunity ahead, which obviously is very attractive to investors. Mm-hmm. And from a SPAC perspective, where obviously the, the mandate is, is, is usually to find growth companies that may not always hit the radar of global investors, um, a very natural place uh, for SPACs to focus. And then particularly if you have you know, a combination of, of team 
that I mentioned earlier, uh, certainly around RSPAC, and we've got some fabulous non-executives as well uh, across industry, uh, but including consumer, uh, telecoms, uh, and then obviously from, from the field of corporate governance as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a real opportunity to marry up some great management teams with you know, 20, in some cases, 20, 30 years worth of industry experience. And so the final theme is, you know, a number of fintechs, quite well-known fintechs over the last two, three years, have added to their boards with people who have been perhaps operating in a more traditional financial services industry, but bringing the knowledge they have on corporate governance, on controls, on risk management, and blending that in with their own team and management philosophy. And that works very well in financial services and fintech as well. So there are a number of individual reasons uh, that actually SPACs and the fintech opportunity come together very nicely. In the last episode, we will further touch on market trends for SPACs and will answer the burning question. Are SPACs here to stay? You can find this episode in your podcast player or on alanovery.com. Thank you for listening.